It's the Mike Salk Show, serviced by Jaffco Plumbing and Sewer. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Are you ready? Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the 710 Sports app and at 710sports.com. Are you ready for a good day? Yeah, final hour of this show means a full hour of the Matt Hasselbeck Show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Good morning, Matt. How are we doing today? Hey, what's up, Salk? How are you guys doing? Well, it's been a crazy bye week here, man. We've had a lot going on between uh, Huskies and Jimmy Lake talking trash and then getting beat by Oregon and, you know, smacking a player on the sideline, getting suspended. Uh, That ended up being pretty interesting this week. We had Odell Beckham Jr. watch here. It sounds like maybe he's not going to come to Seattle, though. What do you think? Well, you never know. It's never final till it's final. And I see where Diana Rossini is reporting who the final three teams are. So that, that means that those three teams are interested. But uh, just my experience with negotiations, you just never know. Someone can swoop in at the end. Well, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of money being talked about. I mean, another report has the Packers just offering the veteran minimum. So it's not like people are you know offering him a tremendous amount of money right now. No, and quite honestly, why would you? I mean, um, you know, no offense to him. He's got tremendous potential, but it just, you know, run the numbers, and the numbers aren't great uh, of late, and he's been banged up just, you know, a ton. So I I think in his five years in Cleveland, he's played 16 games one time, and, you know, like this is an opportunity for him to kind of go reinvent himself and maybe do a prove-it half-year deal and and then maybe get paid at the end of the year. Would you want him if you were the Seahawks? Yeah, I think the Seahawks are one of the teams where the culture is strong, the leadership is strong, head coach, quarterback. I think that'd be a great fit uh, in terms of, you know, could we take this guy and his potential and his talent and put him in our program and, you know, could he flourish? Could he help us? Mm-hmm. Um, I do think the Seahawks are one of the teams that could handle that. It's just a matter of, you know, like you said, the money and if, uh, if they have other priorities, other places. And sometimes, you know, you don't know, you don't always know. They might feel really, really good about someone that they see in practice that they're evaluating that they feel like, uh, bringing in a veteran like Odell could maybe stifle that person's growth or potential as well. You know, that's a really similar answer. We were talking to Albert Breer this morning, uh, who I love, and he was he, he had kind of a similar take on how – I'll play it for you. If, you. if you're Odell – if you want Odell Beckham Jr., you better have a quarterback more famous than him. This is going to sound like a way, weird way to put it. I think it's important, like, that your quarterback's more famous than Odell is. And, I, like, again, like, I know that's a weird way to say it, but, like, I think there's, like, an element of control that yeah. Odell has had – over the last few years that it's allowed him to run wild. And I can still remember this with Moss in New England all those years ago. One of the keys was that, like... So, how how what is that dynamic like with a, well, let's say, mercurial wide receiver? I don't know what word you want to use, but how, how does that power struggle work? Yeah, I mean, I, I get what Albert's saying there, but you know, I would argue that Baker Mayfield has more commercials than OBJ does right now, and that didn't really work out. So it's not so much just about that. And, and I, I kind of think this is a little bit of strike two. You know, he's got an 0-2 count on him, Odell. It didn't really work out with Eli Manning. didn't really work out with Baker Mayfield. So whoever the next guy is, like, essentially, you got to look in the mirror at some point. 
Um, I, I do, I do agree though that it worked at the Patriots. I think more about the culture and more about the head coach, and for sure Brady has a part of that, and that's why Seattle would be such a great fit uh, if they chose to go that route because of Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson. But, but, but yeah, there, there's an element of like playing quarterback where you have to be able to handle all the different personalities in the wide receiver room, and you know whether that's making sure they get the ball or making sure you don't give in to them pressuring you to uh, not do what's best for the team. You know, there's, there's an art to that. And, um, and I think that's probably what Albert's really getting at. How did that play its way out for you? I mean, we kind of gone through this a little bit. You, you did not, if I go, if I remember right, you didn't play with a lot of sort of diva wide receivers. Well, I mean, they're, they're just, uh, divas like sounds so negative. It's not so much that. It's just, I, I think sometimes in the wide receiver position, they don't feel a part of the game. Like if they're not mm. getting their touches, they don't feel a part of the game. You know, quite honestly, the, the, the guy that I played with that was probably the most, um, like the most emotional player was TJ Hushmanzada. And I didn't play with him for a long time. He came in kind of in the Jim Mora year. Tim Ruskell brought him mm-hmm. in, kind of replaced Bobby Ingram. And he was used to in Cincinnati catching like 90 balls, like just being involved in the game, catching a ton of balls, like a kind of a Chad Johnson go clear it out. And TJ Hushmanzada, very shifty guy, get completions underneath. And, uh, like he struggled. I think initially, like where we, he and I struggled was he wasn't getting the ball a ton and he was kind of like, whoa, whoa, I don't feel a part of this thing. And it's like, you're leading the team in, in, uh, in the targets right now. Like we're, we just spread it around here. It's not about forcing it mm-hmm. to somebody. And that, that was kind of a struggle. And he, like I said, he was an emotional player and it's one of the reasons that he was good, but it also was one of the reasons where he kind of struggled to fit into our culture when he first arrived. Well, and I, I could kind of sympathize, right, with with the wide receiver. They're run, they're the ones doing all the running, right? They're running thirty <laughs> yards downfield, and if you don't throw it to them, especially if they're open, I understand why they're mad. Yeah, but it's like it's not so much about being open; it's about being open at the right time on the right play and all that kind of. But stuff. But they don't know and that; so, they don't care. about Yeah, that. but but they, that, like the thing I would say to wide receivers, and the thing I'd always say is like, hey, listen, keep getting open. Like we study hours and hours and hours of film. We will notice mm. and we will come back to you. You can't necessarily take matters into your own hands. I tell this story a lot about Michael Irving. Michael Irving said, told one of the best stories I've ever heard a wide receiver tell. And he's talking about a two-minute drive with, with Troy Aikman as the quarterback. And they're running this play. Uh, it's like Z curl on the other side. And he's running like this uh, skinny post and on, the, on, the, uh, on his side. And the skinny post is open, but Troy Aikman throws it on the other side to the curl. He runs a skinny post. It's open open. Troy Aikman throws the curl. They flip the formation. Skinny post is open. He flips the curl. So the next play, they huddle and it's a similar play and, and he knows where the ball is going to go. And he's, he runs out of the huddle to Alvin Harper's side. And he's like, no, 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 I got this. I got this. Oh, I, mi- I mixed up. He took the position. So he runs the curl route and what he looks over, he's wide open. He looks over and Troy Aikman hits the skinny post backside to Alvin Harper, who's running in for a touchdown. And Michael Irvin's like, no, that was my touchdown. And like the lesson there is like, you just got to do, you just got to kind of just do your job and trust that the, the guy pulling the trigger, the quarterback, he's going to find you. The ball will find you. Uh, but it, I, I'm sure it's super frustrating um, for a wide receiver, uh, especially when the ball hasn't found you in a while. Can a receiver just do that? I'm going over to this side. You go over there. 
Yeah, there's an art to it. You act like you mi- mixed up the formation. <laughs> oh, you said trips right? I thought he said trips left. Oh, well, I'm already over here. So you just go over on that side and you run deep and I'll run the <laughs> I'll run the route that's probably going to get the ball. Oh. It happens all the time. I was going to say how often does that happen? It happens a lot. How or, often does it happen just, accidentally? It might happen accidentally, but or or you'll just like I played with the Colts at the end of my career with uh, Reggie Wayne, and Reggie Wayne, very smart player, um, kind of the veteran player, the leader, you know, kind of deal, and he would just do what he wanted to do, you know, like he'd break the huddle and T Y Hilton, they'd call his number, he'd be like, ah, yeah, T Y, no, no, you clear it out, I got this one, and it's just like you know, there's 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 a hierarchy, it's like a pecking in, order, in almost, right? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit until. Until you kind of, uh, you know, again, this kind of goes back to leadership a little bit in terms of like the, who the head coach is and the culture and the coordinator. And, and that's why one of the reasons, you know, I think Odell Beckham Jr. really would be a better fit, uh, I think, in New England. And I know Mac Jones is just a, you know, up and coming guy, but just with Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick and kind of the history. And then again, like I, like I said, I think Odell Beckham has, he's kind of like in an O2 pitch count right now where, um, you know, he he doesn't have a lot of. Uh, anyway, it's not, not, he doesn't no have a lot situation. Of G, right, he doesn't have a well, lot. There's of no situation that's going to be like completely perfect, but this that would be a situation it's, where I I could see him completely reinventing. You know yeah. how we how we feel about him. It's interesting because Antonio Brown didn't really work out there. Now Brown had his own issues, really off the field. I mean, what you know, I, I don't like comparing the two. You know, Antonio Brown has some really serious character issues off the field, whereas whereas Odell Beckham Jr. might be sort of a pain. But but, but let, can I, yeah, can I just yeah, I'll just stop you there? Because th- this is something like when when I was in college, scouts would come in all the time. OK, NFL scouts. And, you know, you think that they're going to like talk to you or talk to your position coach. That's not what they do. Like they might do that. But here's what they do. They go and they talk to every single person in the equipment room. They talk to every single person in the athletic training room. They talk to the the receptionist at the mm-hmm. front desk. They talk to the people. Like, how does this person treat people? Like, do you do you like this guy? Does this guy throw his laundry bag? in the laundry or does he throw it on the floor for someone else to pick up? Like that's kind of how scouts come at uh, college football players. I promise you right now, all these people doing their homework on Odell Beckham Jr. They're talking to it's equipment, the equipment room in, in Seattle is probably talking to the equipment managers with the Cleveland Browns mm-hmm. and talking to the athletic trainers in Cleveland. And, and from what I have heard, I have heard glowing reports about what he was like as a teammate, uh, the kind of competitor he was, uh, you know, like that kind of type stuff. And and I do Meaning believe Beckham. that Beckham, yeah. sorry. Yeah. And, and, and so I do believe that uh, his reputation as someone that could plug into a good culture is actually pretty good. Um, you know, so, again, it just it's sort of like. Uh, I don't know. The next level of scouting is trying to get to the bottom of, uh, hey, how will this person fit into our culture, hmm. our team? Well, it's interesting as you're talking and saying that that uh, you know more teams may be interested. Uh, Mike Florio tweeting a moment ago that the Patriots are definitely in on OBJ. Uh, our own Jake Heap said that the Seahawks are still very much in the conversation. Jeremy Fowler said the same thing. So yeah, the three teams that Diana Rossi or says is is the are the favorites from Odell's side, but that doesn't mean they're not the they're the only teams that are interested and still making a run at this thing. Yeah, and money will come into it. Like, you know, and I just uh, every player at some point say, okay, I could take more money to go to this team or I could take less money to go to 
maybe a better situation team, you know, somewhere that has a, like a, maybe a more of a long-term opportunity for success. And like, like you talk about the New Orleans Saints, like you're going to go down there and Trevor Simeon or Taysom Hill is your quarterback. Okay. Or would you rather have Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback, uh, a young Mac Jones? Like, so these are, these are factors that are going to come into play for the, uh, for the player as well. Yeah, it's been interesting. We, we've been talking a lot about creativity and scheme on the show over the course of the last few months. And I, the more I watch teams, and I was watching the Chiefs over the weekend a little bit and just some of the struggles they're having, the more convinced I'm becoming, Matt, and I'd love you to, to your take on this, that the scheme and the creativity is a lot less important than we think, and the amount of time you have to run that play with your offensive line is maybe a lot more important than we think. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, there's there's a there's sort of a famous saying uh, that offensive line coaches will say, and in, in, you know, I'll, I'll, it's not super clean. So We're gonna I edit this. I won't say it, yes. but essentially, like, hey, if we can't block for this fancy pass play that you have, you might as well wipe your butt with it. Like, it's of no use. Like, take that paper and get it out of here. It's of no use to you. And and essentially, I think that's what you see some of these teams offensives getting stuck with like guys are running open and yet the quarterback's on his back or can't step into a throw and then everyone's pointing the finger at everybody for like what the well the offensive line's no good it's like well or you put the offensive line in a really really tough situation to be successful and now you're making wide receivers frustrated because they feel like they're open and yet the quarterback had no opportunity to get them the ball so it's got to all work together mm-hmm. um you know in a kind of kind of have to have a plan on how to be successful and pick and choose when you take your shots and there's ways to do that but watching the Chiefs right now, I mean, this is the the offense that no one could get enough of, and it's the future of the NFL. And without the same offensive line, they just don't look like the same offense. Yeah, but I, you know, I was just studying them this morning, and I would say that Patrick Mahomes, there's something going on with him too. He doesn't look like Patrick Mahomes. What do you think it is? You know, he, he, he just, I, you know, who knows? You know, like sometimes guys can be hurt, like. Uh, you know, we're ripping Sam Darnold this week because he's like so bad. He's throwing pick sixes and all this stuff. And now we find out he's got a fracture in his shoulder. I mean, like, so who knows what's going on with the player? It could be off the field. It could be, uh, you know, it could be off the field stuff. It could be injury stuff. It could be trying too hard. It could be arrogance. Like, I don't know, but I'm, I'm a huge Patrick Mahomes fan, but you just, you watch some of the tape this year and you're like, what, what on earth were you thinking right now? Like, I don't understand this. So, um, you know, it, it's all, it's all got to fit together. I'm sure you're not spending a lot of time thinking and watching UW football. Like it doesn't get like a tremendous amount of uh, of airtime. Well, I, I mean, I'm just I'm waiting till Sam Heward yes. becomes the guy, and then I'll then I'll be back in. We had but, a big uh, debut for Heward yesterday. I don't know if you know, uh, Haley Heward made her college basketball debut last night. Okay, all yeah. right, well, twelve points, six boards, coming off the bench for Montana. Big night for shoot. her. I, I might have to reactivate a Facebook account <laughs> so I can follow up on this. <laughs> there stuff. you go. Please do that. <laughs> Um, Jimmy Lake, who's the head coach here in Washington, uh, I don't, did you hear the, the, the trash he talked a little bit before the game? Have you heard this? So this, uh, yeah, a little bit. This, yeah, I'll play bit. it for you. So this was Jimmy Lake. He was uh, asked about recruiting battles with Oregon and explains that they don't really com- recruit against each other. No, I don't think so. Um, I think that's, that is way more pumped up than it, than it is. Our battles are really, uh, the schools that we go against are way more, have academic prowess like the University of Washington. 
Notre Dame, Stanford, USC. We go to we go with a lot of battles, toe to toe, all the way to the end with those schools. And um, so I think that's made up a lot. I'm pumped up in in your world, in our world. Uh, we 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 battle more academically prowess teams. All right. So forgetting about the the English issues there. I mean, he 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 certainly set things up for his team in a huge week against a rival. And then they came out just completely out of control and a whole bunch of penalties. And then he slapped a kid on the sidelines. Just kind of a big mess. Yeah. How, how would you feel as a player to have your coach out in front of things, kind of talking trash and setting that stage? No, I mean, the, to me, the issue is not getting the win. You know, not 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 playing well. Like that. That to me is the bigger issue. Um, you know, that's a part of recruiting, right there. I, I like to me. You know, again, not being an insider on on how that recruiting scene is out there, but um, when coaches come into your family room or they, you know, meet with you and your parents, a lot of times what they are selling is not necessarily the football. They're selling the the academic opportunity at that university. So like a, a very popular line here is like, hey, we want you to make a 40 year decision, not a four year mm-hmm. decision. Like that's something you hear in recruiting all the time. And it's just funny how um, so many schools uh, try to just, use that same exact line and one up say the competition uh, whoever they're competing with but we've seen over the years a lot you know last decade or two that for the most part trash talking ahead of games seems to have been limited right because the bulletin board material and all that across mm-hmm. all sports and, and but especially football both nfl and college did you ever have experiences with coaches that were the opposite or, or or players that were the opposite where you ended up sort of having to back up what somebody else had said before a game? Yeah, it's interesting. You're you're absolutely right. Like that used to be such a no-no and now in this day and age where you've got like uh the people who run social media are are chirping or are you know kind of like uh ahead of the game mm-hmm. either before or after the game. Lane Kiffin's kind of made it famous down at Ole Miss, you know, uh I remember this one time we were getting ready to play, I think we were getting ready to play Army. And it came out in like a John Feinstein book that they used something that I had said as huge, huge like bulletin board material. And all I said was like, oh, we can't take these guys lightly mm. um, just because it's army. And maybe that came off super wrong. <laughs> I, I was. But I think the reason was we had Notre Dame like the next week. Mm. And, you know, I I was trying to like actually show respect to army and, in, 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 you know, I, because they were very good like they were a tough opponent and they used it as like major major bulletin board material or maybe their coach pulled it it gets in this book i don't find out about it until like a year later i'm just happen to be reading this book and i'm like wait what <laughs> i'm like oh like what an idiot would say this and like you know says quarterback matt hasselback i was like what oh my god like, oh, well Oops, I didn't mean that. But no, it's it's definitely changed a little bit and there there are some coaches that are that are more out front on that than than others. You mentioned Sam Heward and sort of the the idea of waiting a little while before you get in there as he seems to be redshirting his his freshman year. How do you feel about that both at the college and in the at the pro level of of the quarterbacks who get in there and learn on the job versus those that kind of sit and watch and learn? Obviously, you had a little bit of the latter. How, how do you feel that affects quarterbacks? 
Yeah, well, quickly on the college thing, you know, sometimes it's like the best thing, the most unselfish thing a coach can do for a young quarterback is to allow him to redshirt instead of wasting his redshirt to maybe save your own job. So, like, that's that's one thing you see uh, in college football a little bit. But, um, you know, for me, I know everyone's different, but, like, I, I kind of think starting the year out as a rookie in the first four games is really, really tough because it's such a blind date. Like, you don't really don't know – who you're going up against as a defense. But I, I kind of think of like week five is sort of the ideal time. If you have a young quarterback, say a Justin Herbert, a guy that has all the tools and he, he looks ready. You feel like he's, you know, the last step is just to get him in there and, and do it. Um, I, to me, like, I feel like week five is you, you've got a month of cutups and, um, analytics on all these defenses and you can you sort of like the dust has settled just a little bit what and are cut-ups it, matt uh, cut-ups are basically like um i don't have to go watch my the team i'm about to play's last four games i can just watch a cut-up mm. of every third down and three to six every third down of seven to ten Got every it. third down of 11 plus to really hone in and zero in my focus so that when i'm in third down and three to six, I can go up there and say, hey, I know that 90% of the time this team is playing man coverage or on third and seven plus. Hey, or third and seven to ten. Hey, I know in this down and distance, we need to expect pressure like they're bringing blitz in this situation or third and 11 plus. Hey, they're just going to rush three. They're going to drop eight. Like there's just great yeah. detail. It's like situational focus. splits, essentially. Exactly. And that's, and that's really how you spend your time as a quarterback. So given a young quarterback, like at least that first month, that opportunity to watch a veteran quarterback, or it could even be a punching bag quarterback, like the guy you just like, Hey, you go take the beating while I sit here and learn, protect our investment. <laughs> You know, just understanding the the good and the bad that that person does in terms of uh, preparing in that month of time so that when you get your chance that you are ready to go. God, there's such a big part of me in watching all these quarterbacks and all the different styles that I'm not sure it matters whether they whether they wait a while or whether they take it right away and and try to develop something. I just feel like it's just whether the quarterback's good or not. Well, see, I, I disagree. And, you know, part of the reason I disagree is like, just even look, this was supposed to be like this amazing rookie class of quarterbacks, mm -hmm. right? And, and Mac Jones is the only one with a winning record. And his record's like five and four. And it's really, quite honestly, not really because of him. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like he's doing it. But... Well, sure. But what does it mean for them long term? Will he have more, more effect long term than somebody who waits? I don't know whether it matters for, for his long-term development. Patrick Mahomes was great after waiting. Uh, other players were great after getting thrown right in there from day one. Yeah, but they, you, we're not counting the guys that get chewed up and spit out. Well, that's and true. Just, and then you just play, oh, he's a bust. Oh, he couldn't. He can't play. Oh, we were wrong. See ya. Like, you stink. And then their names almost become synonymous with, like, a punchline. Mm. You know? And so, like, you know, I'll just take San Fran as an example. Trey Lance. Like, everyone was like, ah, oh, Trey Lance, Trey Lance. Because they were using him, I think, a really smart way. They were using him just on short yardage situations and just in small red zone opportunities. And he looked great. And then all of a sudden, Jimmy G gets hurt, and he's got to play, and he looks like, oh, my gosh, this guy looks 
he looks like a bust. Now, I don't think he is a bust. He looks like a 21-year-old quarterback who has played one game since he was 20 years old, and that was against, like, Central Arkansas. He's just not ready. Like, this is a guy that would so benefit from sitting and learning and watching the way that Mahomes did or Aaron Rodgers did or Tom Brady did, um, the way that I did. Like, they're, they're, you know, again, like, not everyone's the same. Mac Jones is a guy who you know, basically played at Alabama and he's being protected now by his new, his new team. And, and he's, they're kind of bringing him along slowly. I think he completed 12 passes last week yet. They're balling out and winning in yeah. one place out of the first place in their division. All right, hold on. We got to take a quick break. I got caught up in listening to your story and now I forgot to take a break. So we'll do that. When we come back, you said something really important here on the show two weeks ago, and it doesn't seem like anybody's taking your advice. So we'll dig into that next. Matt Hasselback here on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselback Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. All right, continuing on, Matt Hasselback Show, every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Of course, you can find the entire podcast of that at 710sports.com or wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it, you can download it later. Uh, Matt, we, uh, we, we, I liked what you said a couple of weeks ago when we sent out the video of it. People seem to really be intrigued by it of how in your house after you met with, uh, with Bill Levy that no one is allowed to complain about officiating after a game. And it, it dawns on me that, that more people could, could use that advice. Uh, <laughs> today, yeah. today they could. Like in general, uh, both in si- this city, elsewhere. But Monday night game really seemed to get people uh, because this taunting rule just seems to drive people absolutely crazy. Uh, first of all, how do you feel about the taunting rule in general? Yeah, well, I'm, maybe I'm not in favor of it all the way, but uh, but like it's 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 week ten. Like, so what? Get over it. Like, you know, everyone knows the rule. We talk about it every week. It's a point of emphasis. And like to think that that wasn't going to be flagged, Chicago, uh, Cassius Marsh. Like, like, that's definitely getting flagged. Like, I'm I. It's definitely getting flagged. Like, it's almost like being upset at the police officer that gives you the speeding ticket. It's like he didn't come up with the speed limit. He's, <laughs> he's just doing his job. Like, so like, the referees, like, they didn't come up with this taunting emphasis. This is the competition committee. This is like Mike Tomlin and Ron Rivera and those guys. Um, so, like, you're just putting your anger in the wrong spot. And they put out a, a video every week. Hey, this is what, uh, these are some of the good calls of the week. And this is some of the bad calls of the week. And they share it with the head coach, who's then is supposed to share it with his team. And they are clearly, clearly, clearly telling these officials, if someone goes and stares down the sidelines on the other side, throw the flag. Go ahead and throw it. Basically, you know, players celebrate with your teammates, with yourself or with the fans and you're good, you know, stare down at somebody else or get in somebody's face mask. It's a flag. So um, I'm glad to hear you say that. I feel exactly the same way. Every time I say almost those exact same words, people get mad at me for it and say, well, but it's a stupid rule. Like, well, it may be a stupid rule, but following it's not that hard. Just celebrate with your team and not by staring at the other team. Throw all that out, though, for a moment, because what happens with Tony Carrente and Cassius Marsh in that moment was a little strange because it sure does look and Camp Chancellor was going off on this on Twitter. It sure does look as if Carrente kind of throws a hip check at uh, at Cassius Marsh as he walks by. Does that seem unusual to you? 
Yeah, it looked a little awkward. Uh, you know, I heard LaShawn McCoy say something I actually chuckled out loud. He's like, come on, that didn't happen. These officials are unathletic. And I was like, <laughs> gosh, like you just you just dissed a guy and yet, you know, protected him. Like, I, I don't know. You know, the only thing I could think of is like sort of like his position on the field is behind the quarterback. You know, so it looked like awkwardly like he was trying to more so go back to his position, mm. so to speak. But, you know, I, I don't know. That did look a little awkward. Uh, I, I will just say this from, you know, I receive these same uh, video points of emphasis that these head coaches get and I study it. It's like a 20, 30 minute thing every week. The amount of things that these referees are asked to be in charge of and the mechanics of like where their eyes are at certain times and where they're supposed to stand. So they work in unison as a team so that the whole field is covered. Uh, it, it, it's almost like conf- makes it confusing. You know, again, it feels like almost like a, a golf lesson. Like you're just like, oh yeah, just stand up and hit the ball. But there's someone's coaching you to like, no, put your weight in your front foot. Now your back foot. Make sure your wrists are here and your hands are here and your grips like this. It's like, whoa, just let me hit the ball. Yeah. You know. And so, and that I that's kind of how I feel when I watch these officiating tapes. Like, man, what was it? One foot in or two feet in? Like, I, I don't know. I needed to be looking at the, you know, through this. Have you ever done that. it? Have you ever have you ever acted as an official? <sighs> It's a good question. I, I don't know that I have. Brock I did it. A few, I, I only asked because Brock got asked to do it a few years ago for like, a, I think it was a spring game for one of the colleges uh, when yeah. he was still with ESPN. And so he and his whole crew, and he was the either the headlinesman or the line judge, one or the other. He's one of the two on the line of scrimmage. And they went through all the things he would have to do and pay attention to. And it was really hard. I mean, like it, it seemed incredibly complicated. Well, let me tell you what I have done. I have been in charge of the the clock at a hockey game, and like you have newfound respect for like how hard it is to watch the game and then be responsible for the clock. And then once it starts going to penalty minutes, forget about it. Just forget about it. Because now you got to pay pay attention to both. You've got to have the uh, penalty clock right. Oh my gosh, that sounds yeah. really challenging. Good good luck. So there's a lot of these jobs out there that like you don't understand how hard it is until you've tried to like sort of walk a mile in their shoes, and it's a uh, it's a whole different experience. I won't play the whole sound, but uh, the, uh, Chris Sims was on this morning uh, on his show talking about uh, uh, telling a story about Tony Carrenti, who's the ref in, in question there and saying that he does make things personal. And he tells a whole long story about how Carrenti, he got mad at Carrenti for not calling the late hit. And then later in the game, Carrenti wouldn't give him the courtesy of letting them know when they were coming out of timeouts. And he would just sort of start the play clock and not tell them or anything. And then tried to link the two and said, he told me, you know, hey, when are you going to apologize for 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 what you said earlier? I guess my major question is not necessarily just about Carrenti, although if you have a story about him, I take it, is how much of that back and forth goes on throughout the course of a game? Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's, there's an art to it, and there's definitely relationship building in there. And, you know, the, the referees can choose, the officials can choose or not choose to sort of help you. Like, you'll see wide receivers when they run out of the huddle and they're on the line of scrimmage or like a yard off the line of scrimmage. They'll signal to the side judge, hey, am I good? Am I like, look, thumbs up or thumbs down? Hey, like, you know, and the guy will usually say, hey, move up. Or move back. Or if the left tackle is not close enough to the line of scrimmage, usually they don't throw the flag the first time. Usually they come to the huddle and say, hey, 71, Walter Jones, you need to scoot up or I'm going to throw a flag on that. Um, or if a Which defender is what they should do, a- right? I mean, that's the kind of communication you want. 
I appreciate it, and I think the best guys do that. But um, to Chris Sims's point, not every official, not every referee would give me like a warning coming out of uh, the TV timeout. So I would take it upon myself to go to those guys, kind of, uh, you know, kill them with kindness a little bit. And like, hey, listen, hey, I uh, would really appreciate it if you could just give me a heads up coming out of TV timeout. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually if you handled it that way, you would get that. Um, but, I mean, listen, these these guys are human too, and they don't feel like getting, you know, MF'd by some 23-year-old, you know, think somebody who thinks they're a hot shot young quarterback or yeah. whatever and they're human so like they can choose to really be helpful or they can choose to just kind of go about their job um and there is relationship building like look, tom brady i've seen him get knocked to the ground and i see the referee literally help him up <laughs> like like that that's unusual but i'm guessing there's relationship there i'm guessing brady yeah. has buttered him up um well, you know, these these days the league has their ear right i mean they can talk right to hey help brady up please let's go get that guy up <laughs> off the ground I, I i don't think that's really how it goes okay, i mean maybe you not. know these these head coaches you know, like I think Sean Payton be an example of a guy who I have heard, you know, tells his team, his entire team, hey, listen, we're you guys kill him with kindness, and I got the officials. Mm. Like, I'll be hard on them when I need to be hard on them. Mike Holmgren was exactly the same way. So, like, I, you know, there's 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 schools of thought on it, but um, ultimately, I think the best thing you can do is understand that hey, these guys are getting graded as well. Like they they're. they're they are eval- being evaluated each and every play, just like you are, and maybe just help them do their job better, and they'll help you do your job better. And uh, and, and and you know, I guess I guess that's the the most you can do. <laughs> Dude, did you hear the Pete Carroll sound of him with the refs last week after the Jacksonville game, talking about DK how he thought he could have jumped over the goalpost? No, I, I didn't hear He's it. pretty here. I'll play for you quick. You know, I'll play for you in the back end. we got to do ranked. We'll do that coming up next. Uh, we've got a good, relevant uh, something for Matt to rank this week. We'll do it next. Matt Hasselbeck here with Mike Salk on 710 ESPN Seattle. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwumfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is Ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. Yeah, and Ranked always more fun with Matt Hasselbeck. Uh... So the Seahawks are going to play in Green Bay. It might be snowing, by the way. Did you know that? We may get snow. You said Green Bay, so obviously it it can always happen. It's not summer, so there's at least the possibility of snow. So uh, with all the storylines heading into this game, I love watching snow games. Uh, I don't know if I'd want to play in one, but I love watching them. They just always look cooler, more important, et cetera. So we thought we would ask you, uh, in terms of conditions, the worst conditions to play football in ranked. Yeah, it's so funny. Like you'd think quarterbacks would love a dome, and we do. Or, but like, snow is not a big deal. Like one of my favorite games was actually playing Green Bay in Seattle, an amazing snow snow game. Like snow is not a big deal. Rain, even light rain's not that big of a deal. You know what is a big deal though? Like number five, I guess I would say this could have been number one is mud. Like we hate mud. Like snow, not a big deal. Rain on field turf field, but like you play at Soldier Field, Chicago, or some of these places mm. where the grass gets used for. High school football and college football in the middle of the field inside the hashes. Mud's like the worst thing you can have as a, as someone who touches the ball. That's the worst. Okay. 
So it's kind of number four, sticking with like the mud theme. Yeah. This isn't mud. This is just dirt. Then an infield, like the Oakland Colise- right. like the Oakland Coliseum where the Raiders used to play, like <laughs> dropping back on second base. You know, you're throwing an out route to your wide receiver who's trying to run a comeback, but he has to stop at like shortstop and can't get out of his break. <laughs> Meanwhile, the DB's in like great grass and he's breaking on it. And Charles Woodson's all of a sudden going the other way. Like that's this isn't right. There's like, not much the of that left, right? I mean, it used to be San Francisco, Oakland, a couple of other places, Miami, yeah, well, right? Yeah, well, listen, because the NFLPA, the players, like, fought for it. They're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is professional football. Like, And even now, like, there's uh, there's fields that are multi-use or whatever, uh-huh. and the, the, the grass is, like, a little worse in other areas, but um, that was the worst. Though. Okay. The infield. No thanks. <laughs> the infield. <laughs> so funny. All right, number three. Okay, number three. Like, like I said, snow, not that big of a deal, but that humidity – Week one is absolutely suffocating for teams that aren't used to it. So we used to do training camp in Cheney, Washington. Hot, yeah, but dry heat. Then they would fly us to, like, Jacksonville week one, and we'd wear Ugh. blue helmets, blue jerseys, blue pants, black shoes. We're, like, suffocating, not used to it. We don't even look like ourselves. Go down there and get spanked by Jacksonville. You saw it happen to Green Bay this year. They go and play the Saints week one. They played them in Florida uh, because of weather conditions, but the Packers looked like they didn't even know, like, which way was left and which way was right. Like, the humidity is actually just suffocating, and uh, they, they, they look terrible. Now look at them. They're they're seven and two and on fire and mm. and all that and uh, so anyway humidity to me is like way worse than snow. All right, before you do number two, I will say if you want to win a couple tickets to see the Seahawks host the Cardinals at Lumen Field November twenty first, text the word Hawks H A W K S to our new text line two zero six four two one three seven seven six to learn how contest ends Monday at midnight. Text the word Hawks to 206-421-3776 now for your chance to enter to win. We are going through the worst conditions to play in ranked. Number two. Number two, I'm going with wind. And, like, I don't know why this is in my head, but I'm just thinking about playing at Buffalo. Like, Ugh. there's a couple places. Buffalo was, to me, just the one of the windiest places. There's other places. Chicago? But sometimes, yeah, Chicago for sure would be one. But here's the problem with the wind. It's kind of funny. When people are watching film and they see you, like, miss a throw or miss a kick or something, like... Oh, my gosh, that was awful, that throw. Meanwhile, like, you can't tell on film that there's, like, a 29-mile-an-hour <laughs> gust that just came at that moment. So I have got tremendous respect for the way that Josh Allen, the quarterback in Buffalo, can just huck that football through that wind there. I mean, he played at Wyoming, so I guess he's, you know, used to bad elements. But um, does, uh, does arm strength play a role in the wind? No doubt. Arm strength, um, what kind of spiral you have on mm-hmm. your ball. Um, you know, there's actually like you kind of go with a three quarter, uh, kind of a three quarter release sometimes if you got to kind of play the wind. And it can be windy everywhere. It can, shoot, it could be, you know, windy anywhere. Like Seattle, there was a couple games against the 49ers that were very, very windy. But, um, but that, that's, it's just very tricky, I guess it would, I would say, for quarterback, kickers, punters, those types of guys, receivers. All right, so that's number two the wind in Buffalo, the worst conditions to play in. 
Yeah, it's not snow, like I said, not rain, and I, I probably should have put mud here, but I put cold, like the cold weather, and maybe because I was just thinking about Green Bay. Sounds terrible. And here's the only good thing about playing in cold weather in the NFL, okay? There's like a team of people whose sole job is to, is that you're not cold. So like the, the benches are heated, there's a slot for your feet to go in, so the bottoms of your cleats are heated, hmm. there's a helmet heater that you put your helmet on on top of that bench, there's, uh, you know, in those Gatorade cups on the sideline, some of them have Gatorade, but some of them have soup, like chicken broth. Some have hot chocolate. Uh, there's a dedicated for the quarterback. There's a dedicated guy that has a coat for you when you come off the field. So, but winter, do you ever worry, like, I always worry with that, that it's like when you jump into a, like a hot tub on a cold day and then you jump into the pool, like the pool seems even colder than it did before. Is it, does Let it me, affect uh, you worse when you then have to go out on the field? Let me just say this, okay? I got drafted to the Green Bay Packers. It was freezing cold there. Where would at halftime, where would we have our quarterback meetings for halftime adjustments? In the sauna. Literally, it'd be me, Favre, Andy Reid, Doug Peterson, Rick Meyer. We'd be like huddled up in the sauna just trying to get his dry hot as we possibly could so that we went out there now the funny thing is brett wasn't cold because brett was like running around playing football you know he's out there the rest of us were frozen i mean just completely frozen so i, I get what you're saying but listen when it's negative 20 you degrees you, you go you take right. the heat matt good stuff thank you uh we'll react to what should be an epic game between the packers and seahawks See if Russell can make it back. See if Rodgers can make it back. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll talk about it next Wednesday at 9 o'clock. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. All right, let's do it. All right, there you go. Matt Hasselbeck, every week, Monday at 9 o'clock. Uh, I did say I'll be off for a couple of days, so uh, I'm going to take my outfits, Justin, down to uh, to Arizona. We'll see sure, how they... Make sure you pack all four belts and all four hats. If you've got the space for them, bring them. <laughs> we'll see how it plays down there. Uh, we'll catch you guys soon, though. 6 a.m. See you, everybody.